Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop is joined by special guest Maestro Bob Nance. He's the president of Heartland Sings, a nonprofit vocal music production company based here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hear more about the upcoming Heartland Sings Vocal Arts Conference, as well as a conversation about how music and faith intersect. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And Bishop, we've got a special guest today. Yes, a friend of mine. He was on this program a few years ago. Yep. Maestro Bob Nance. Oh, you really you really got the maestro. Right. Really. That's because of my Italian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Well, I was going to say maestro. And that's yeah. how most people say yeah. maestro, yeah. 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 Welcome back, maestro. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And I'm honored that you call me friend. That's so nice of you. I too, I feel very much a kinship to you. And I think just before the show, we were talking about what brought us together in the first place. And it was really how music is such a wonderful way to express yourself and to connect to the spirit and to be, you know, to speak to your own personal faith journey and and how important music is. And I know you love chant, yes. which is a rarity. And I'm sure that's because you've been to Italy many times and you've heard it in those great cathedrals. And, uh, you know, you do have to have the right location. And we have a few in this town. I mean, apart from our nice little mini basilica uh, <laughs> here in town, one of my favorite is the the chapel up in Donaldson, Indiana, yes. the Poor Handmaids of Jesus, that glorious chapel at Ancilla uh, College. The Annunciation, yeah, beautiful. Oh, God, it's just And wonderful. a lot of people haven't been there, you know. We have— Because it's a little hidden gem. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I can tell you a transformation story that I had in that space— just to, again, to show you this, this idea of the power of music. I was, at the time, directing the youth choir for the Fort Wayne Children's Choir, and we had just finished a tour in Chicago visiting some sister groups there. And on the way back, I said, we're stopping at this beautiful place, and we're going to sing just for ourselves in this space. Now, this was after about a week of being on tour with these kids, and love them that I did. They were just a real royal pain in the you-know-what. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, I'm doing this for me. I mean, in a way, it was kind of, I want to be there and, and let these young people experience the space. So they went in and they sang, and they turned into angels in that space. So it was something like they were just like, wow, you know, we've never been here. And I, that moment when the parents are crying because they're just like, they just kids were, after this tough week, they performed beautifully. The space spoke to them. It was just a moment. Wow. And I thought, why is that? And it was because most of the young people I was working with were in schools where they didn't have spaces like that. Right. They're in, you know, glorified closets right, right. <laughs> with no windows and acoustical tiles and everything's kind of dry and and their auditoriums are not really set up to be these beautiful acoustical environments. And what it did, you know, there is something about the artistry of architecture and mm -hmm the iconography that's in the space. And I mean, probably most of these young people that haven't seen the Stations of the Cross and they have a beautiful set in right. that space. So I just think the the whole amalgam of that experience just took these little gnarly, misbehaving young <laughs> children and created a different 
affect in them and they were forever changed and they still i mean every once in a while this has been years ago probably 20 years ago and i i still run into some of those kids and they're just like do you remember when and i said i sure do (laughs) (laughs) you know recapturing beauty in our architecture and music this is a priority of mine for example we have undertaken the beautification through not just restoration sometimes renovation of some of our churches that really aren't that beautiful. They were built at a time when, you know, different types, schools of not just architecture, but art that really didn't uplift the mind or the spirit. And so we've been undertaking that. And even a new church that we built, I don't know if you visited it, Bob, St. Pius X in Granger. It's Romanesque and has beautiful imagery, iconography mm-hmm. inside that, that just, you know, it helps your spirit, right? And I see right. the same thing about music, you know, that it not be banal and You know, we're talking here about, really, beauty. It's a way towards God. I mean, the via pulcritudinis in Latin, the way of beauty. We Mm -hmm. think of the way of truth. We think of the way of goodness. And now, but there's also the way of of beauty. That's why art and music are so important for our culture. Oh, maybe maybe we're seeing a change in the name of our program for truth and beauty. Mm. There you go. And charity. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's a very important concept. And we have to get beyond this nature that everything has to just be purely functional. And that aesthetic environment. Now, I remember when you came over and blessed the studios at Heartland Sings, which we're very honored that you are on our honorary board. But when you came over to bless that space, you know, that's a very nice it's functional, but it looks nice. It's well-designed. It's a comfortable place where artists can actually explore, whether there are clients or students and people are coming in, but the artists themselves that work for us have an aesthetic place to be. And so they have to be inspired too, mm-hmm. right? And they have to have that. So that that was important in sort of the design and what we're thinking mm-hmm. about doing is whenever we do anything, there's yeah. that holistic focus, Right. And I always say, just do your best by the gifts given to you. And so just going to the lowest common denominator just never is part of my thinking. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's a point where you can only spend so much money, and so I get that. But you can always do a really nice aesthetic job with anything you're doing as, as long as you're thinking about that. But that's where I think the thinking sort of falls short. So I thank you for talking about this from a faith perspective because... It also affects the way we even think about ourselves as, you know, human beings and also. Right. And um, sacred music, of course, right. uh, and liturgical music are so important for me and, you know, obviously for for the Catholic Church. And I know that you have an appreciation for the Catholic tradition and as far as our tradition of music and, and, and also trying to bring the community together, different faith communities here in Fort Wayne in particular, I think it would be interesting to share with the listeners what you're up to. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited to talk about that. And yeah, I think I was so thoroughly steeped in the Protestant tradition as a young person, but I also grew up in uh, the Anglican tradition and sang in a boy choir since I was eight years old. In fact, that's when I was my first paycheck it was, wasn't even a paycheck. It was money. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like real money. I was paid, you know, I think a dollar and a quarter a week to uh-huh. do a rehearsal, a two and a half hour rehearsal plus training. And then Sunday mornings, I had to get up at, 
at 7.30 to be ready to do the early Mass at 9.30 at Bruton Parish Church in Williamsburg, Virginia. I did that from all the way up through high school. That's a, obviously a sister tradition that came out of the Catholic Church. But it wasn't until I began my training in music that I realized that most of what we study as music came right out of the Catholic faith. And then, you know, for a number of years, I worked at St. Francis and, uh, you know, I had much more uh, akin. Now, you have many wonderful musicians who are steeped in the Catholic tradition, and I, I lift up Mike Dulock as one of those. Oh, He's yeah. He's a fabulous musician. So, so that the listeners know, Mike is the director of the Cathedral Choir in Fort Wayne Cathedral of Immaculate yeah. Conception and great organist. Oh, he's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Kudos to him. If you want to really get into the 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 values and what's going on in Catholic traditions, Mike's the guy to talk to. Yeah. I'm much more eclectic in the in the background that I've had because as you know, through my work in town, I not only work for Plymouth Congregational Church, but I also am the musician of note that works at Temple Octave Veshalom. So I'm getting a number of traditions in my thinking, and we have so much in common across the board. And I know you're friends with a rabbi, and you know you know all of the faith traditions in town, and you've been right. wonderful in your, your ministry to, to them as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, we have so much in common, and the traditions that we all enjoy today— are from the rich Catholic tradition of music. And what I value about our friendship and our conversation about music and faith, it really has come into a point of organization of a new opportunity here in Fort Wayne, and that is the Vocal Arts Conference that is being sponsored by Heartland Sings and our Vocal Arts Institute. And we're hoping that this is a long-time running vocal arts conference where we're encouraging singers, uh, both amateur and professional, to come together and to experience music and learn a little bit more how they can discover their own voice. One of the things that, that really pushed me into starting the Vocal Arts Conference this year was that I really wanted us to be the catalyst for bringing as many local singers together to participate in a learning opportunity that focuses on how singing can actually improve your life and your faith journey. So this is a very spiritual opportunity. It's also a learning opportunity. Like, how can you best express yourself or connect to the Spirit through singing? And sometimes you have to get out of your, your little home base and see what other people are doing because the commonalities will just overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. That, you know, all of the things that you might, you know, you're just kind of focused on what you want to do in your location. And you, you go to a conference where you're sharing the experience with people from different walks of life you realize that their walk isn't much different than yours, right? Mm -hmm. But you also might learn something. I also think these are the kinds of conferences that if you're thinking about maybe singing and maybe taking the risk to audition for Mike and sing at the cathedral or maybe in your local parish or just just singing or high school or community choir, whatever, that, that this might be a good springboard for you because you can experience people telling about their stories and what's happening. So in this vocal arts conference, which we've entitled Singing for Life, we have our principal speaker for that event is George Shirley. Now, Dr. Shirley was, and he's noted for, being the first African-American tenor to sing at the Met. Wow. And so his 
actual journey, his faith journey, is significant because he had to have loved what he did as a musician enough to deal with all of the hurdles that were set up, which had nothing to do with his musicianship and everything to do with his background Mm -hmm. as an African-American. And so, but he can talk about what determination and this sort of idea of just sticking with it and knowing what's in your heart and what you're called to do. He was called to be a singer. That's what he was created to do. And so he could not vary from that any more than I could say, you know, I don't love Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to say that. So there there are certain things that are just humanly part of who you are and you need to own it, not deny it. And he didn't. And he got his voice out and his journey was marked by his singing. We also have a a woman by the name of Karen Brunson. Dr. Brunson is from Northwestern University. And she's going to talk about how the voice changes from birth to death. And in that, that every step of the way, there are ways you nurture the voice. And it is possible for you to sing from day one right up to the your last days. And I still remember, bless my mother, who's passed away just before COVID, that in her final days, it was music that kept her mind active. Wow. And even my grandmother, her mother, I remember just her final days that if I wanted to communicate with her, and I had to sing to her. Yeah. And that's what we shared. So there, there are multiple adages and what do you want to call them? The stories we tell, the anecdotal evidence that something about singing really changes your life. And I think there's that saying, when you sing, you pray twice, right? And that's been proven. That It was an adage, and it's what's proven is that, you know, you're not only invoking your language centers, but there's another center of the brain that where your musical center is taking that same text. So if you sing through something that you want to memorize and you sing it, you're going to have planted that information in two different sectors of your brain, which makes your memory all the better. I wonder if that's connected also with prayer. I had a cousin who died last year who um, mm-hmm. had Alzheimer's, though, and was in a, a nursing home, and I spent some time with her, and there were two things that seemed to jog her memory or where she could really, I mean, she was pretty, didn't have much recognition at all. It was music and prayer, because when I prayed with her, the rosary, she started joining in. That was unbelievable because she couldn't carry a conversation, but yet she could. And then when we had music, there was definitely a recognition and an enjoyment mm-hmm. that I saw there. So I wonder if that's related. Well, when, you, when you're doing the rosary, there's a rhythm to that. And, uh-huh. I, and that is still, I think, associated with your music center. Okay. So even if, if it's rap or you know just something alliterative that is done with a rhythm, that's still a musical aspect. Okay, so it's probably what happened. Yeah. And you can connect it. I think that's true for my grandmother. She had dementia. Uh-huh. And whenever we would talk, she couldn't really converse with you, but you could sing the whole gray mare. She ain't what she used to be. And she would just chime right in. <laughs> and, and that was her favorite song. In fact, I, I hate to say this, but I played that at our funeral. Oh yeah. And, and but I, I think if you, if you know the song, you can actually kind of marry it up with amazing grace. So I just worked on a little quote a little bit to do that. <laughs> and my uncle, my mother's brother was a, a minister, Baptist minister. And he was 
doing the service. <laughs> and he, when he heard that come up, he just about lost it. And everybody wanted to know why he was laughing. Because I don't think they could hear the song, but he knew what I was. <laughs> so I, that was my way of saying, you know, tipping my hat to my grandmother. But so many great stories about music. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you want to participate in something where you're just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're enriched so by the right. experience. Yeah. And Bob, I appreciate, like, you know, I think some of the listeners, listeners probably know, you know, some years ago, we worked together on having Handel's Messiah at Christmas time, and that was so beautiful. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have this connection between you and me and the diocese, Heartland Sings, and serving on the Honorary Board of Directors. You know, I, I think it would be good to think about some other things we can do. You know, we're beginning a three-year Eucharistic revival in the Catholic Church in the United States. I'm very excited with, about this, and I was thinking, but we'll have to talk about this off the air, I guess. I would love, you know, I was thinking about some of our beautiful Eucharistic hymns and chants. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote some of them, not the music, but the poetry, basically, for the Mass of Corpus Christi, and that was back in the course the 13th century but but we have a rich treasury there that'd be something that maybe we could collaborate on i mean this is a three-year it's going to begin in june three-year revival and mm -hmm. we're really gearing up for it but that's another example of maybe area that we could talk about i i mean you teach me i don't know much about music to be honest i mean i enjoy it that's the thing i mean i love it but as far and i you know i, I love like the texts of thomas aquinas for example on he wrote the office for the Feast of Corpus Christi. So morning prayer, evening prayer, and all that. Right. It's just beautiful. Right. And some of that, of course, has been Some set. wonderful chants. Right, some beautiful chants. Then we, we were talking about Adorate Devote, Devote. Yeah, yep. which is my favorite. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you now you could sing. You can always, if you weren't so busy, <laughs> I'd have you in the studio and I'd help you with your uh, chant. You, you could chant your well, services. Well, I think we would need a miracle to get me to sing well. <laughs> well, you know miracles happen. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the miracle is actually just walking through the door and saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. See, well. see, there, there you, see, you can actually, everybody can make their own little miracle happen just by not listening to the internal no <laughs> and and listening more to the you know the very welcoming yes i can uh, do this because i i've i've long said I think it's you not about up. quality i think if i went to lessons with you you would say well maybe bishop you could you should stick to just saying those <laughs> no prayers. i would never say that <laughs> i would never say that yeah no i stand by that i think everybody can sing it, it it's not about quality it's about it's expression it yeah. comes from your heart yeah. and people are afraid I'm sure. And fear is the biggest holdup. And, you know, what have you got to lose? Right. 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 You it's have a good every... lesson in humility if you don't do it well, too. I, right. You know, <laughs> I've grown you know, <laughs> that, that could be a great springboard into one of the things we're doing at the Vocal Arts Conference, okay. talking about humility. Really? Yeah. Well, because we end the conference, and in addition to having some rehearsals on this wonderful work, the Luxaterna by Morton Lordson, which we'll talk about that Heartland Sings principal artists and our full group, our paid group, are working on an opera that encompasses the story, The Three Hermits by Leo Tolstoy. And, of course, the minute we decided to do this, when I called you, because I said, Bishop, you know, you need to get, you know, <laughs> the Catholic faith needs to show up for this story, because what a great, first of all, it's about a, a bishop who gets humbled in the end of the story, which I think is certainly... <laughs> You are the most humble bishop I've ever met. Of course, I don't know that many, but that's all right. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah, probably as humble, but maybe not quite as humble as, you know, Francis. 
But you, you definitely <laughs> are humble, and I I think this is this could be an experience that you probably can relate to. But in the story, which you know well, and so do you, Kyle, that the bishop who is on a proselytizing tour, if you will, <laughs> through throughout the various places he could travel by ship, he learns about three hermits who are on this island as as part of the journey, and he asks the ship captain, "Are there any?" heathens, I guess you might say, on the island that need to know about Christ. And the captain says, well, there are, there are three hermits that live there, but I don't know. You know, And he says, well, get me a boat. I'm going over there. So he does, and he encounters the three hermits who are very, you know, simple. And he proceeds to teach them the Lord's Prayer. And, well, they just can't get it. They're just like, well... And this is the funniest thing in this. This is an opera in English, by the way, so it's it's very it's very accessible to everybody. But the funny scene in that is the three hermits are trying to do the Lord's prayer and they just can't get it, and the bishop just gets frustrated and finally he says, "Okay, we've done our work here, and I'm going to go back to the ship." and And everybody on board ship, all his pilgrims and his mother and the nuns that assist the bishop are like, "Well, did you get the job done?" And he says, "Well, I'm not so sure. I don't think they were all that bright." And the next thing, there's this excitement, and the excitement is the water is starting to rush, and they're like, what's happening on the horizon? Well, it's the three hermits who are coming from the island, and they're walking on water. So at that moment, the bishop, that's sort of a bit of a transformation, realizing that these people have been obviously holy holy in the first place, and and that was humbling for him because he was like, who am I to you know try to teach these three people how to be holy because they already know, right, yeah. they, in their own way. And so he was very humbled by that. And the story ends with this beautiful piece called The Pilgrim's Hymn. And it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it, I it's, know the story. I don't know the the music, so I'm anxious to, to yeah. hear it. Yeah. You know, that story, Dorothy Day, and a lot of listeners know about Dorothy Day. Actually, they've started her working on her cause for beatification. But, you know, she was an agnostic as a young woman. And one of the influences on her conversion really to Christianity and eventually to Catholicism was Tolstoy. Now, Tolstoy wasn't so into organized religion or, or churches or, or whatever, but, but he had a faith in, in Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, etc. Well, that had an impact on Dorothy Day, leaving agnosticism behind and believing in Jesus. So I think that's really interesting. So when I heard that you were doing the three hermits, I thought of Dorothy Day, you know, and how that influenced her. Well, it's just another another way where you realize our Creator's influence on us can come through unexpected ways, you know, right? You know, God uses the least of us to get stuff done. Yeah. I like to think he's been doing that with me for a long time because <laughs> I couldn't be yeah. any more least of these than anyone. Yeah. Um, but no, there's a great moral to that story. I, yeah. I think a lesson in humility and how God acts in people's lives at, in in ways that we don't expect. And, you know, and, and they prayed, I'm trying to remember, we are three that's it. Yeah. I mean, even the, the mystery of three the Trinity. Are we. we are three, we are, th yeah, and three are we. Yeah. 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 You it's, are three, and so are we. So that's how they Have pray. mercy on us. Have yeah, mercy that, on that us. was their prayer. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, so you are three, and we are three. Right. This has been fascinating, and I'm just enjoying to be able to sit in on this conversation 
We've got to go to a break, but just a reminder that if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by texting the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we will continue to talk about Leo Tolstoy, the three hermits. And also, I want to talk a little bit about repetitive prayer, which is a theme of this as well. And more with our special guest, Maestro Robert Nance, here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and our special guest, Maestro Robert Nance, talking about the opera that they're going to be putting on, The Three Hermits, which starts with, it's a story from Leo Tolstoy, and it starts with Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, talking about not to pray in vain with repetition like the Gentiles do. Bishop, can you talk a little bit about that theme of repetitive prayer and maybe some theology behind that? I mean, I would think that they were repetitive. That's how they would praise mm-hmm. God, correct? The three hermits, because they would say that, you are three and we are three. That was one of the ways that they prayed. But I think the main thing is, it's not just repeating words in a unthinking way. It's uh-huh. what's in the heart when they're praying. So they obviously had faith and they had love for, for God, love for the creator. I think that's you know, authentic prayer, you know? So I think the thing with the bishop is he didn't see that, you know, he didn't understand that. So yes, he was there to teach them the Our Father and they were eager to learn it. They were just having difficulty. (laughs) And, but the idea was, you know, that he had judged them, Mm. you know, that was the problem in his own pride, really. And that of course, dissipated when he saw them walking on right. water. Yeah, and but I, I also don't think that the bishops, and this happens to all of us, I don't think it's ever intentional. I think it's that you get very myopic about this is what needs to happen, and you get focused, and then you fail to actually see what's really there. Yeah. So somehow opening up your eyes a little bit is very helpful. On the Matthew passage, I would say that what you're talking about here is discipline. You know, if you repeat the same prayer, as long as you are thinking about the words that you're saying, the repetition of it grows. You learn a little bit something more about, like the Lord's Prayer today means a lot more to me than it did when I was a kid. I just did it, right? Yeah. So you you learn the repetition of it, and then you think about it. When you do one of the creeds or something like that, you right. know, the creeds say something, but as you grow through your faith journey, it means something a little bit more. So the discipline actually brings out of you an understanding of where your journey has been from when you were a young child to where you are today. And believe me, believe you me, those prayers that I know from memory that I do over and over again, I, when I come back to them, what what they say to me today is a lot different than what they said to me 25, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that the three are ye, three are we, have mercy on us, you know. So the Trinity is there, and we are three. So they were equating their 
own internal divinity, which we all have. Right. We all were, we, you know, we are part of the creative process, you know, we, we were created. So if that's the case, then yeah. there's a relationship there that we can't deny right. or separate from, but we can ignore it. Uh, See, that's our free will. I'm sorry to say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, and yeah. some people get there. So, yeah. but anyway, that's so that's, you have the whole people from all these different coming together to sing, right? This well, opera. we have our the artists that we have in our current stable, and they will do the opera itself. Okay. Now, the the conferees who register as singers for us, and by the way, you can go to heartlandsings.org and. It'll come right up on the website, the Vocal Arts Conference, and there there are clickables to register to be a part of it. You can just attend the conference or and pay a fee, or you can register as a singer and then you can attend for free. That's what's really nice about the conference. It's really we are making a commitment to Fort Wayne and the and the surrounding counties for singers to come together and to learn. And to sing together. How many rehearsals will you have? With they're you? they're all during the conference. Oh, you're so, it's no, all during it's the conference. It's all during the conference. So we start on a Thursday late afternoon, and we do all day Friday and all day Saturday. And the concerts at four o'clock on Saturday. This is right. June 16, 17, and eighteen. So I mean, if you had to take a day off of work, that's not so bad, right? That's a good time for our college students who are home from college or. Our high school students Absolutely, on break. Absolutely, right. You know, right. and older people too. I think that, you know, right. there'd be a number of listeners who might be interested right. in this. Yeah. Right. So the singers are not only going to get the chance to learn the work, because the, the Luxaterna by Morton Lordson, which is the main choral work that we're doing with this conferee chorus, is not really that long. It's 23, 24 minutes. It is so beautiful. And it's very beautiful. And we'll talk about that, too. Yeah. But that's that's what the singers are going to participate in. Now, we may actually add to that the Pilgrim's Hymn, which is in the opera, and let them sing that with them. But we're kind of toying with this idea that maybe those who are singing in the Luxaterna, which is after intermission, might want to watch the opera uh -huh. rather than be in the background of the stage. Everything's done on the stage at our performance hall on the campus at PFW in the Reinhardt Music Center. That's where okay. we're doing this. Okay. And so we kind of want everybody to participate, but they could easily sing from where they're seated, the mm -hmm. Pilgrim's Hymn. And it's just this glorious work. So that's toward the end of the opera is when that hymn comes in. And so it'll be easy to incorporate them into that. Right. So the Luxaterna, now I, that's where we're getting into your territory, Bishop, where wow. we're talking about mass texts and things like that. And uh, I know you like that text. My favorite thing about the piece, other than the text, is the way Morton Lordson wrote the music. So if any of you uh, listening out there know anything about, say, a hymn, you know that everybody sings the same text at the same time, and all of the chords line up. So you can actually look at the page and see that the music is lined up in a vertical way chord by chord by chord, and everybody has their own note depending on whether you're a soprano, alto, tenor, or bass. Hmm. That's called homophonic writing. Everybody's participating in the same rhythm, generally speaking, and everything's done text-wise in unison. They just have their own notes to sing. Interesting. So where did that come from? That came right out of the Catholic tradition of chant singing. So originally, the only thing sanctioned by the church was the chant melody, and that's all you could do. Yeah. And you couldn't do it outside of worship. So it was really interesting how actually, how could you practice? And it wasn't until Pope Gregory 
I think he was the one that said, look, I mean, our chant's terrible. We need to do better. So I can just see, I could see Bishop Rhodes back in the fourth <laughs> century saying, we need to do something about our singing. So let's just let's just create a scola cantorum where we're training the singers to do that. But even then, they weren't allowed to actually evoke the text. They had to learn the music. How they did it, I'm not 100% sure. But it was that the the text was so revered as sacred that you couldn't, like do it outside of. I'm right. glad we've gone beyond that, but yeah. So at any rate, that's that's where, but that's where secular music came from. Won't you just? That was the flip side of that was the melodies that people were singing in church became part of popular music. They just changed the text. Yeah, and so you know that there was a lot of spinoff from the Catholic faith and and chant, and one of those things was that as chant began to permeate itself in the faith traditions, we had more voices coming in, and and most of them were male, I know this, but some had, like young boys, had higher voices, and they couldn't necessarily sing the chant at a particular level. So what grew out of that was sort of a parallelism where the chant would be sung at a different pitch level, and they just naturally found the pure fifth and the pure fourth as a way of doing that well, when you start matching all these things together, pretty soon you have a harmony and parallelism going on. And as musicians were looking for more creative ways to create music, they would take the approved chant by the church and create a bass line. Hmm. And that's the cantus firmus was the chant that had been spread out over music became a bass line, what we know as a bass line today, and they would improvise melodies above it. Well, these are the kinds of musical writing styles that Morton Lordson has adopted in his writing. He basically wants to make sure that every voice part has a linear horizontal line that's like chant, very meaningful and and connected and and not not boring like you're not just singing the same notes so all you altos out there that sing hymnody in church every day and if you're doing four-part harmony and you end up singing the same note for most of the hymn that boring stuff is not in the morton lawrence and <laughs> luke Saterna because everybody's line is very linear and has and could be by itself a very nice melody which i think is a real challenge as a composer because you want to make it sound good yeah. and how does the harmony all come together it just takes a great deal of talent and and capability which he definitely has i mean he is our composer laureate here in the united states yeah I know Morton, and I've been in his home mm-hmm. on the island of San Juan, uh, just outside of Seattle. Wow. And beautiful space where you can just see the all the mountain ranges and the volcanoes. <laughs> and he has a little room with his grand piano. It's like in a towering octagonal room. And that's where he just kind of sits there and composes. And I just think idyllic. Like we were talking earlier about beauty, and, mm-hmm. and I think... I, I wonder about some of his inspiration living there. I mean, he's encountering the beauty of creation. Uh, maybe that's why he wants to live there. And I wonder that inspires him. I've heard him described as a mystic. I mean, when you listen to his music, I thought, wow, yeah, there's a mystical but, quality you know, but, about and, it. And where does that come from? Just like the transformation story I told you about in these young people, it, when you're steeped in nature as his family, he, his whole childhood was in these islands, not just on San Juan, but in other locations. So he has a long history of being in this area. He was at UCLA, so he was in L.A. quite a bit, half the time teaching there and the other half just enjoying the 
nature and the inspiration that comes out of that. Yeah. You can't deny that God's creation is more than just the human being, right? right. There, there is everything that surrounds us, and the more you can connect to that, the more I think the more inspiration you can garner, right. and, and, and that's was, what he's doing. And it was while his his mother was dying that he composed this, right? He, mm-hmm. His mother was dying, and and of course his reflection on eternal light and uh, perpetual light. I mean, that's what this. The, the words of this is peace. And and I was struck by their part of our prayers, like at Requiem Masses, Masses mm-hmm. for the Dead, or even the prayer that we say all the time, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. I mean, that's a very Catholic, we repeat that all the time. Right. And, and you find that perpetual light, he refers to, uh, I think, eternal light, perpetual light. He, it's all about mm-hmm. light and it's, I think even the transfiguration. And so he's a deeply spiritual man who was just reflecting on the death of his mother, but obviously his faith and trust that she's now in the presence of the eternal light, God's presence. That's how I, in any way, there's just an emotion to that piece. And, And he also talks about, I mean, I think one of the five parts, it's about what we profess in the creed, when we profess our belief in the divinity of Christ, we say, God from God, light from light, mm-hmm. true God from true God. And I think there's one of the parts of that where he does lumen de lumine. Right. 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 Light Beautiful from section. Light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know the work well. I think that's fantastic. You know, the premiere of this work was Paul Solomonovich and the Mas- LA Master Chorale. And so they had a, he, I think, was actually awarded some special honor from the Pope at the time, because Paul would regularly, I mean, he's just a devout Catholic and well-respected in professional vocal choral arts uh, folks. I think they've actually recorded the work, and it's just beautiful. And Paul's the one that told me about how Morton writes and got me very sensitive to, you know, why his music is so linear. When you look, I mean, you just look at the page as a work of art it looks different than most choral writing so um and then of course when i ultimately got to meet morton lordson which was much later it was one of those things where i was like wow you know this is what paul told me and he said oh yeah paul would say that because you know (laughs) he's my friend but paul was really into chant and many times at the vatican sharing his either his musicians or or just he just loved working for his church and loved going to the Vatican for regular pilgrimages. Wow. And he's he's now gone, and, and wow. we're all the poorer for it because he was such a devout musician and such an influence in, in American choral music. So I think this would be something that a lot of our listeners might want to attend. Do you want to give the information again? Sure, Bob? sure. So it's June 18. It's a Saturday afternoon, so you don't even have to give up your evening plans. <laughs> You'd be out of there by 6 o'clock. Because the opera is only 55 minutes. It's all in English, very accessible. And then after a brief intermission, we bring the chorus up and we do the Lux Eterna, which we are actually going to dedicate to folks who we have lost to the pandemic. So we're over a million people, right? And in, in Indiana, it's, it's, you know, it's quite significant. The numbers have changed. But yeah. last year, we had a, a banner up that showed how many people we had lost. Wow. And it, the banner was full. 
I mean, it was, it was very significant. But we will, um, again, want to shine the perpetual light on them because, you know, uh, pandemic doesn't know a stranger. <laughs> what a great piece yeah. to choose for yeah. this purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And then— That was uh, your idea, I bet. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and plus the, the just, again, getting back to this idea of life-changing opportunities, that's, that's Heartland's byline. Our mission is to change lives through song. And whether you're doing it for a faith journey or just a personal enrichment kind of journey, whatever that is, you know, it's all there. And yeah. we, we, we value that so highly that that's just part of our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I see also that looks eterna as a prayer. In other words, I think when I listen to it, yeah, it's, it is a prayer. I mean, it's in you, O Lord, I have hoped, for example, in te... Domine speravi. I think that's at the very center of the piece. Yeah, you know. So I would think yeah, people who've lost loved ones. That that is in actually in the center. So you're exactly right. So the way Morton wrote this, it starts the Luke's and ends with the Luke's. It's bookended, and yeah. the the it, the apex of the piece focuses on just that. Yeah, and I think people who have lost loved ones, yeah, would this could be very comforting. Yeah, and prayerful mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. yeah, it could be cathartic in yeah. many ways, and yeah. and w- last year when we did the Mozart Requiem, which of course a lot of people are familiar with, but it was cathartic, for example, for people to come in and to sign the banner, and to, it, just to remember a loved one. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the we had many spaces for that, lots of like little iconic figures of people, and one figure represented a lost loved one mm-hmm. in in our region, and. Every one of those spots was filled. Wow. So it was cathartic for me to see that because, you know, I mean, I had just lost my mother, but she she didn't get lost to COVID. She just, that was, you know, it was her time. But just to see how many people were still grieving a year into the pandemic was pretty moving. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to miss that opportunity a year, another year later, because our right. first pandemic concert was last June. And don't say a pandemic concert, but a pandemic commemoration. We wanted to tip our hat to that in in some fashion and just to acknowledge that people are still grieving and people are still being lost to this virus, even though we're not sort of in a pandemic phase right right now. Well, Bob, you know, I'm so grateful for your service of the community. I mean, this is really a, a beautiful mission that you have and a great talent that you have received from God yourself. And I appreciate that also your your outreach to our Catholic community and, and everyone, really, but also to me personally. So, yeah, I pray that God will bless this conference, and thank, thank you for you. all you do. Thank you. And you too. I, I feel the same way. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks. And I feel privileged to have been witness to this conversation, <laughs> not, not my own participant, but, Kyle, well, that's all right. but thank Thanks you for, being for here. letting me be a part of it. Just a reminder to people, you can go to heartlandsings.org for information about the, the concert, the conference. We'll put a link to that in the show notes of this episode as well. So thank you, Maestro and Bishop, both for being here. Bishop, before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Thank you, Maestro. Thank you. 
Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.